with nearly everything in marketing going more and more digital, is traditional marketing dead or are there strategies from the pre-digital age that could help us today? And can some of these more timeless strategies that we don't hear about too much anymore give us a competitive edge when it comes to marketing and promoting our businesses? Here with me today to answer these questions for us is my good friend, Mr. Bill Dieter. Hey, Bill, how's it going? Pretty good, Tom. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for coming on. My pleasure. Yeah. So now before we get started, Bill, uh, here at Lemonade Maker, we believe that we should only learn from people that have real credentials. And uh, there's just too much noise and too much opinions out there. Um, and we don't want to learn from unqualified people. So if you could, just real quick for our audience, can you give us a couple of highlights of your career so people know your experience and where you're coming from? Yes, I can. I, I started marketing back in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. I've worked with a few major corporations, Fortune 500 corporations, and then that led me into working with uh, privately held companies and non-for-profits. So I have a, about a 40-year history of working in the marketing area uh, for companies and with companies, because at one point in time, I moved into the agency business and started my own public relations agency. And I've run that for the last 38 years. That's awesome. That's great. Cool. So you're definitely no stranger to marketing and advertising. You've been doing this a long time and have a significant track record of success. Uh, and you've worked with some major Fortune 500 companies, which is great. So that, that's awesome. To reiterate, so you come from a different generation of marketing and advertising than what we're experiencing right now, which is why I want to bring you in to help with caveman. this topic. Um, <laughs> call me a caveman. No, not at all. You have secrets in your head, and we've been friends for a while now, and, and we've had a lot of talks about uh, some of these strategies that are just um, not what people are doing right now, and they're really great strategies that have that have just gotten lost. Like People aren't doing this stuff. Everyone is overly focused on digital, um, but before we jump into some of those strategies that, that you have uh, in your secret stats there, um, let's start from the beginning. So if I'm a small business owner and I'm just launching my business, or I'm just getting started, or I haven't really made a lot of traction, what are some of the things that I should do to start? Like, Where do I start from marketing? Well, you really have to, to back up and get your house in order and make sure that you've got a product or service that the market wants. It starts there. So you've got to do your homework. And you know, I'm the first to admit that no one, I don't, I've never been, nor do I have I ever run into anybody who is a real marketing expert. We're all learning as we go, okay? So let's start with that premise. And I think then you, you just move forward and realize that uh, it's just common sense for the most part. You know, you've got to make sure that you've got a pop product or service that matches up with your target audience. And once you know that, and that happens through research and trial and error and testing, et cetera, et cetera. Once you've got that sense, then you can decide how to package it, how to market, how to take it to market. And that's where the fun begins. That makes a lot of sense. So can you give us maybe a couple of steps that, that we would follow to start, you know, to build a brand? What are some of the first things I should do, like actionable strategies that I should do right out of the gate? Well, I, I think the first thing you want to do is, is find out the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats that you offer or you face as a marketer going forward with your product or service. Once you've done that, then you can move into asking, well, who else is out there in that market? that I have to compete with. And what are they doing? What are their strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats? And if you can matrix that, match it up, you have a better sense of knowing where you are. Do you wanna be a big fish in a small pond or a small fish in a bigger pond? 
Uh, those things all take I need to be taken into, into consideration. And of course, there is the question of resources. What kind of funding do you have available? What kind of staff do you have behind you? What kind of research do you have that proves the point that you want to make with the product or service you're offering? In your opinion, what are the keys to a successful marketing strategy? Like, how do I know when I'm doing it correctly or if my approach is just off? That's the $64 question. You know, <laughs> I think it's a lot of it is trial and error, Tom, to be very, very frank about it. And it does take time. I, I want to stop here and caution your readers or listeners here that, that time is the issue. Uh, a lot of people think that you, you launch a marketing campaign and it's instantaneously going to be successful. That isn't the case. It takes time. Give you a good example. I, when I go to market with a client, I'm trying to tell them that the first 30 to 90 days are going to be set just understanding the product and service you want to del deliver. And then the next 90 days is going to be how do you package that up? And then the next 90 days is going to be how do you get it into the market? And what kind of response can you expect in, in, in the short run? You're not going to go from zero to 100% success. It's going to gradually grow the market. And you've got to be prepared to do that over time. Let's dive in a little bit to the topic here. So we have, that's a great start, great foundation there. Uh, so obviously digital marketing, social media marketing is the dominant strategy in marketing and advertising today. Right. <laughs> Tell me about how you feel about that. You were around, well, before, you, you kind of saw I, I know it it's there. Yeah. It's, <laughs> In in some senses, it's very exciting. I have to admit, it's exciting. And, and, okay. and some of it's way over my head. I'm, I'm the first to admit that. But on the other hand, I also think that um, it's like websites 25 years ago. Right. Um, they, were the, the, they were the second coming of Christ. Everybody <laughs> thought you had to have a website. And then the cost of those just skyrocketed. And it got ridiculously expensive to do a website. And in reality, when, when all the dust settled, we realized that it was another tool. Maybe it was a base tool that we were using. It was a sort of core tool for us. And that was very helpful to us, but it was a tool. It was nothing more than a tool. And I feel Makes the sense. same way about social and digital. They're tools that you need to put in your tool belt, but they're not the cure-all that some people believe they are. And I, I say that with all honesty, I, I have no yeah. ax to grind. I wanna use them, but I wanna use them judiciously at the right time in the right way in the right place. That makes sense. That makes sense a lot. I'm interested in hearing about some of your strategies that you feel, you know, you used years ago that are not being utilized today. So I know you have a lot and we've talked about, I think upwards of 30 different strategies. Um, and a lot of them you've mentioned, uh, you know, we'll get to later in your, in your uh, program that we have here at Lemonade Maker University, but just to keep it, you know, within a time constraint here, can you give us maybe three or four top strategies that you feel people should be looking at today and they're not? Like things you guys used to do that we're not doing now, like hidden gems of marketing wisdom. You just hit on the key. There are really very few new ideas. Right. Very few. If you accept that fact, let them come naturally but focus on the ideas that have proven to be successful in the past. You know, if you're going to do integrated programming, be smart about integrated programming. Start with the news value in what you're doing. Focus on your publicity and public relations work. That's where you, where you balance the news and take advantage of the third-party credibility it offers. 
it's only when you've exhausted the credibility of that that you need to turn to advertising, sales promotion, digital, and social media. You know, going back to social and digital, one of the problems today is everybody's doing it. Right. So <laughs> you're you're going to be a lost leader. You've got to be really, really careful about what you do, how you do it, and how you're going to stand out. That's what it's all about. You talk about advertising. What's the what's the value of advertising? Well, advertising is its greatest has its greatest value in that you are frequent. It's its frequency. It's all about repeat, repeat, repeat. It's the Chinese water torture test. You know, you see that ad 150 times and all of a sudden it sinks in. Right, but if you right. can't afford to put that ad out 150 times, maybe you shouldn't put that ad out yet. Maybe until you have exhausted all your news value, do you want to go forward with the advertising? See the point that I'm making? I do. Yeah. Now back up if you can. So what do you mean news value? How, where should I start with that? So you're, you're saying I should, um, there, you know, there are two types of news. There's either real news, which is news that happens naturally. Someone breaks a world record with something. Uh, your product has been proven through consumer testing to be the hottest thing since sliced bread. Okay. You, you've got news there and you can promote that fact. But then there are times when you create news, you go out and you do market research on okay. subjects that your target audience is interested in that relates well to what you're producing or providing as a product or service. And once you've done that research, then you can go talk about that news, which is created news. It's what you created to service the needs of your client or your, or your target audience. That's a great strategy. How does one go about that? So I know you and I have talked about things like surveys, market research. Okay, so I'm right. a small business owner. How do I how do I do that? Like, what are the actual things? Like, how do I get uh, a news story that gets picked up or gets some traction? Like, what should I actually do to make that happen? Well, the, the secret to, to good news stories is to have something that's actionable that the media can participate in. If you can get to a media. Years ago, let me back up. Years ago, when I would want to, publicize a product or service, I would write a story and I would go call the local media person and suggest that we go out to lunch together. We'd go out to lunch and we'd have a wonderful lunch, hamburgers and all of that, chit chat, have everything. And at the end of the lunch, I'd pull out my story and say, hey, hey, John, hey, Tom, here's a story I think might interest your readers. And okay. generally back then, that story got placed and it was in the newspapers, it was on TV, it was on radio, it, it covered the media. Today, that doesn't happen anymore. Unless you have really hard news, strong, you know, something that's of real value to your media person's interest or their reader's interest or listener's interest or viewer's interest, you don't have a story. So you always have to look at what is the market looking for? What is, what's the local media person wanting to cover? And how do I help help them do their job better? If I can Makes write sense. a story about that includes my product or service that services their need to satisfy their target audience, then I've, I'm of value. And, I, and the media will come back to me repeatedly for other stories to help because they're like the rest right. of us. They, 
they're doing their job. They have a hundred things going on at once. Sometimes it's nice to have somebody helping you <laughs> or providing you with background information that you can use in some meaningful way. Okay, that's so cool. That stories makes sense. today are very powerful if they're if they're developed in support of what the media is trying to accomplish. That's good. Long-winded yeah. answer. Apologize for that, but I think no. that works. Yeah, that's great. Um, not to put you on the spot, but can you think of maybe a couple of like topic, like story topics? Can you give me maybe a few um, that our audience would, would maybe give them some direction of what kind of stories? Like, what are some topics or some things they should be thinking about? that would help them get started with a good idea for a newsworthy story? Like what kind of things are people interested in hearing about from a business standpoint? Well, well it all depends on your product or service. If you're pr promoting a, a product that's going to help clean clothes, a, a, new, a new laundry detergent, um, that's better than anything out there, um, prove it to me. Show me why it's better. Show me why it's safer than any other product that's out there. Show me why my children won't have to worry about eating, you know, Tide tablets um, <laughs> because they look like candy. Uh, that's the type of thing that you've got to be careful of, and you've got to you've got to come up with a product and prove the value of the product. Now, okay. if, if you're doing that and you're dealing with home economists and the home economists are raving about your product and service, and they're willing to go out on a limb and say, "Wow, this is the greatest thing to come along for cleaning clothes since." I was a kid, um, then you've got something to talk about because there's third-party credibility, which gets back to the news value. If you can sense, quote yeah. that economist in your story, the, the home economist in your story to say, well, Mary Jones, uh, who is the leading a home economist today, tells us that this product is the best thing since sliced bread, then you've got some credibility. And it's not okay. just you talking about your product or service. Makes sense. So the idea is getting someone else to talk about your products or service. Getting just... someone else to talk about, <laughs> which gets you into the whole issue of sponsorships and celebrity endorsements and that type of thing. Okay, and, let's. You know, there's a, yeah, that's a let's slippery dive into slope that. as well. Yeah, let's dive into that. That's a great segue. So talk about that. So uh, as a small business owner, I don't think I've even ever heard the idea of getting a, a sponsorship kind of stuff. Um, you know, with my last company, we had a spokesmodel, obviously, who was my wife. She was our official spokesmodel. She did an amazing job. Um, talk about sponsorships, talk about spokesmodels, spokespeople, um, and then maybe even talk about influencers today. Is that the same thing? Or, you know, what are your thoughts on all of those kind of things where you have a person helping you represent your brand? Okay, I, I can do that, but I, I'm going to ask you to Pull the plug on me because I can go on forever. That's okay. That <laughs> this is good okay. stuff. The, and let's go all the way back to the Olympics. I got involved at the Olympics back in the 80s uh, when I was working with and for M&M Mars. And I was uh, the head of their Olympic program. And we were looking to, our strategy was to reposition candy from being an indulgent treat to a permissible snack. Now, why did we do that? Well, at one point, and you've heard me talking about big fish, small pond. At one point, we at Mars were one of four or five candy companies that dominated the confection industry. So we we were in a, we were in a conglomerate, but we were certainly in a small pond where fighting for your share of the market was a tougher and tougher job every every time right. I went out to try to do that. So it was 
in our best interest to think outside the box. And instead of being a member of the confectionery industry, it was smart for us, I think, to reposition ourselves as an indulge or to, as a permissible snack. Now we're in the snack food industry. So where the where the confection industry was this big, the snack industry was this big. Okay. And so we were now a big, a small fish in a big pond, as opposed to being a big fish in a small pond. Yeah, yeah, okay. So the Olympics were a perfect vehicle for us to go. You know, we became a sponsor, and we bought the rights to become the official snack food for the Olympic Games. Well, that cut out all of other snack foods, all other ice cream products, all other candy products from being the same thing. You, you had an ambush marketing mentality. You, you signed the contract that didn't permit other people to get into the Olympics and compete with you in those in that category. So we, you had the exclusivity to that category. And it was based on that that we were very successful in and repositioning ourselves and being able to tell the consumer that, yes, we're not suggesting that you eat five Snickers bars in, a, in one sitting. What we're saying to you is, as a part of a well-balanced diet, Snickers bars do have their place. There are some ingredients in that product, the nuts, the eggs, the milk, that are valuable to you. And they do help you because they're a compact source of carbohydrate. That was why, well, that was our argument. So Makes sense. I think yeah. that's a good example of what, what I'm talking about. And yeah, then yeah, once you a... did that, then you then the question became, okay, do you have spokespersons? Well, yeah, we went and got an expert in nutrition that that was not just us telling the world that it was a great place or a great product from a nutritional standpoint. But here you've got the top nutritionist from the United States Olympic Committee saying, and I encourage my athletes who need the carbohydrates to eat these things periodically to get the, the, the carbo loading that they need. Yeah. So you had the expert here, the the, the nutritionist and on the other hand we went out to select athletes who had uh, track records of performance as athletes to say yeah i do that i you know i'm not a closet candy bar eater i can go out i don't mind telling the world that i eat a snickers bar once in a while <laughs> it, it does fit it does it makes it start starts me from being hungry it stops the growls that's what i want right so, right you can do that. And interestingly enough, last night I was watching uh, Caitlin Clark uh, break the record for women's basketball. She plays basketball for the University of Iowa, and she just broke the scoring record. And she did a, an, it was an amazing feat last night to watch her break women's basketball scoring record. Yeah. But I then tuned in and re realized, and this is this happened with some of the Olympic athletes, that they're like eight or 10 companies now that she's a spokesperson for. Well, there's a credibility issue. Right, yeah. You know, if, if somebody does that and they're speaking on behalf of 10 different products, unless they use those products, I'm not so sure as a consumer, I would value their opinion or point of view on whether that product is good or bad. So you, you gotta be careful. There are times where you gotta really sort of toe the line in terms of how far you go with the celebrity sponsorship. Same thing happened with Mary Lou Rhett, poor thing after the games in 84, she was inundated with sponsorship opportunities. Everybody wanted Mary Lou Retton. 
Uh, and, you know, it's like a, a Roman candle. It, boom, it took off and then <laughs> boom, blew up. And then once it was gone, it was gone. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and I would much rather see an athlete. And this is, I once in a while talk to athletes about this, you know, work with one company or two companies and, and really do your part to make that company a success. And, and then the, as a result of that, you're going to be more successful over a longer period of time. It won't be the Roman candle approach. Right. That makes doing. a lot of I sense. Fear for, I fear for Caitlin, Caitlin Clark. Yeah. Because she's going to be, boom, she's going to be one of those Roman candles. And that's yeah, not yeah. what you want to be. So, so how do you, what, what are your feelings about influencers today? So obviously those aren't like, um, you know, professional athletes or actors, actresses, that kind of thing. They're normal people. Um, some of whom have a pretty sizable audience. So do you think that's the same thing? Should businesses consider I think, I think influence they're, marketing? They're certainly worth exploring. I think they have more credibility than some of these entertainers or actors or athletes who have yeah, already right. endorsed many products. Right, right. You know, finding somebody that's an untapped source. And that was one of the other things that we did with the Olympics. We There were Olympic athletes, gold medalists who were available to us and and that and in the right circumstance that was fine to use, but more often than not, there are great stories of little known athletes who the people yeah. can relate, the public can relate to, or your target audience can relate to better than LeBron James. Yeah, yeah, right. So you know, LeBron James is a phenomenal athlete, but not too many people can look at him and say, "Well, I look just like LeBron James, and I can do exactly <laughs> what he does." It's right, exactly. Real world. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, let's awesome. find real people who have had success, but who are more in line with what reality is all about. That's good. That's good stuff. Yeah. Um, these tips are, are really, really helpful. So um, we touched on this a few minutes ago, but can you elaborate on um, results and expectations? Because I know a lot of people, when they start a business, they throw an ad out, you know, they're expecting yeah. the ad to like, you know, hey, I, I spent a thousand dollars on an ad, and you know, why aren't I getting a bunch of clients? You know, right. um, what are some expectations from a marketing standpoint? You know, what should a business owner expect in terms of time frame? Uh, you know, before they start getting like real results from their marketing campaign. It's a crawl, walk, run process. There yeah. is no question about it. And uh, to go back what I to what I said about advertising, advertising is all about frequency, frequency, frequency. If you can't advertise with enough frequency to stay in front of the consumer, you're foolish to put money down a rat hole. You shouldn't do it. Right. Um, yeah. And and that's I often find clients who say, oh, I want to be in it. I want to do advertising. That's because when they went to college, they took advertising 101. <laughs> and that was the course that everybody wanted to be a part of. And, and as a result, they've convinced that advertising is everything. Well, it's not. And and it, it has its place. But again, if you're spending four thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, the Olympics, seven million dollars for a 30 second spot. Wow. Well, that's crazy. Guess what? You, you don't not everyone has deep enough pockets to do that. And, and when you see the ones that do that on the Olympic, it's because they've got an investment in advertising far beyond that one spot. That one spot, it's just a, a blip. It's that explosion of the, the skyrocket. Um, Budweiser is a classic example. Budweiser advertises consistently throughout the year through all sporting events. And so when they do the Olympics, 
they're really tugging at your heartstrings. They want that one commercial to remind you of all the other things they've done over the course of the year. That's right. Yeah. They, you call that a do it. It's, it's <laughs> like, oh my God. Yeah. It's Budweiser. And they're, and they're everywhere. Budweiser does everything. And, and they do marvelous advertising and it works. Yeah. But it's yeah. because it's not, not that one advertisement. Right. It's, now, it's ongoing. I can, I can say that. And on the other hand, let me go back and I can tell you about a trade campaign that I worked on. Okay. When I was in the plastics business, we used to do a lot of trade advertising. That trade advertising is advertising business to business. You're talking to companies that may make products or need products that you make or offer out of plastic or out of reinforced plastic. In our case, I was with Owens Corning Fiberglass and we made reinforced plastic products or made offered the fiberglass to make the plastic product. Right. Stronger, better, whatever. And so we would advertise in all the trade magazines and we would see minimal improvements in our sales as a result of the advertising we did. And it was because we were talking to ourselves. We were talking to people <laughs> who already knew what our products were capable of doing. It wasn't until we took a gamble and we put ads in Sports Illustrated you go, Sports Illustrated, why did you pick that? We realized that our target audience was CEOs, okay. COOs, CFOs, and corporations. And where do they see those things? Well, guess what? Right, they go right. to the barber shop on Saturday morning, and they pick up Sports Illustrated, and there's our ad. Gotcha. Boom. Sales took off like a rocket. Okay. It was because we found the appropriate media to get to the right target audience. Yeah, that makes so a lot of sense. Yeah. Until you do that, you got to be, you're going to do a little searching. You're going to be hunting and pecking, trying to find the right medium to get to them. But once you find it, that's when the publicity works. If you're, if you're yeah. writing a great story, which is, a you know, stories, publicity is a value of publicity and story placement news is that you can, you can extend your message. You can write in depth about the subject or product or service you're offering. Where on an ad, you've only got so much, so many lines of space on a page or so many seconds in the, you know, of radio TV time. And so your messaging is much more limited. Right. But if you, if you find the right medium, have at it and then merchandise right. <laughs> the living hell out of what you're doing to maximize the exposure. Okay. So on that note, um, give me an idea of, so I'm a new business owner, Right. What should I yep. be spending? If I'm going to start a business, what kind Good of question. money should I be spending on, on advertising and marketing in general as a startup? Then as my business grows, you know, how should my ad spend budget be moving along? So you're saying I need to be advertising all the time on a consistent basis, not just one shot yeah. marketing yeah. and advertising, you know, drive by right. advertising kind of thing. You, so, need be, you need to be working against an annual plan. Yeah. You yeah. Need to so be working with multiple tools advertising, public relations, sales promotion, digital, social, all of these things need to be a part of your tool belt. Yep. And then the question becomes, well, what's the spend threshold? Yeah. Me? Give me a number. Give me some give actual me numbers. <laughs> okay. If I'm a business to business company, you know, and I'm trying to be successful anywhere from one half of a percent to 5% should be earmarked for marketing. Communications. Okay. 
So that that one half to percent to one or to five percent of gross sales. So total, what do you expect that product to generate? That's what you want to spend on it in terms of marketing. Okay. One half to five to percent of that gross projection annually. Of your projection, not what you're currently doing, what you want to do. Uh, well, it, you some companies will will they'll adjust. They'll say, "Well, I'll do it based on current," and that's yeah. fine. But at least you know what you're up against. Well, the uh, the, the problem with more, yeah, more the problem with to, current is that sometimes if you're a startup, you don't have any there. revenue, so it's well, zero. Exactly. So <laughs> for startups, you, you five percent of zero. Yeah, exactly. You have to be a risk taker. Right. So you have to be willing to take calculated risks, and that gets back to really knowing your market and doing the proper research going in to know that you've got a product that's got potential okay, that has a value and could be very, very successful. And you can sort of look out there to, if I am that product or I have that product, what, what can my five-year projection be? Well, okay, if it's $10 million, maybe I should be willing to spend a little bit more now because I'm getting it off the ground. Right, so, right. You know, I, when I give you the percentages, they're, they're, their generalities, but that's yeah, yeah. generally the, what you're finding competitors are spending. Okay. So, so I've given you business to business, business yeah, to B2C. consumer, you jump from 5% of gross sales to 10% of gross sales. And there, okay. as I say, it's not, if it's 12% one year or 9% one year, you know, give yourself a break. You're doing your best, but generally these are the rules of thumb that you work with okay. in spending. And I also think that what you need to do is you can't, if you've got multiple products, you can't spend that kind of money on everything because you've got to, you've got, you've got to live with yourself and you've got to deliver to your shareholders yeah. profit. So how do you do that? Build a pyramid, okay? Divide it into thirds. Spend 70% of your money on the top third and whatever you put in that top third in terms of your marketing products. Okay. Middle, you spend 20% on, and the bottom, you spend 10% on. Interesting. Okay. What happens is the bottom is just, you're just maintaining. You're just yeah, yeah. continuing to go along until you get it right. You're working on the research, you're working on product development, you're working to develop the USP. You don't quite know exactly what you're doing. Middle group, that 20%. This is where you're starting to get serious. You're you're you've hired the agency to help you market yourselves. You've got a lot of things going on now. You're you're putting the pieces of the puzzle together. You've got a plan in place. You're developing that using that 20% of the dollars available. That top third $70,000 or 70%, that's where you you're saying we're there. We're ready to go. And now we've got to go prove ourselves. So let's go spend at a level that generates attention and interest. You know, you got to take them from unawareness, awareness, interest, conviction, and sale. Yeah. Make sure your marketing does that. You've got to spend at a level that makes that happen or you're wasting your time and money. Okay. Makes sense. That's good stuff. All right, good. Yeah, this is all uh, really helpful stuff, Bill. So I'm interested. I have to ask you about, you know, in uh, true lemonade maker fashion, when bad things happen to us, uh, you know, what do we do with those challenges and obstacles? You know, do we um, do we run for the hills or do we take the challenges and bad things that happen to us and turn them into innovative ideas? So can you give us maybe one or two things that comes to the top of your head from 
failures you've experienced or major challenges that you've experienced in your career and in you know lemonade maker style how did you turn right. that into something innovative to help you well let me begin by saying that that, that i've had my first year of failures <laughs> and and i would say that any good marketer has sure um, and as i said earlier none of us are experts we're doing our best to, to market a product or service and what you need to do is learn from your mistakes that's the key and what i've found over time if, if there's any magic to this what i found is no knee-jerk reaction is the key to success you got to grind it out there's no simple solution if you fail learn from your mistakes go back retrace your step remember what you did that worked and where you had your problems figure out a different approach a different way to attack it yeah and 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 try that and maybe you try multiple solutions you know, until you find the one that, that you find that Sports Illustrated opportunity sure. that you can jump on and make it work. But don't give up. You, you've you've invested a lot going forward. Uh, and I've had a couple of clients who have backed out of great opportunities too early. Right. Yeah. And 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 I can give you a, a classic example of that. Yeah. There yeah. Was, uh, there was a pharmaceutical company that had a product for women that helped with interstitial cystitis, which was a bladder issue that women went to the bathroom 60 times a day. And it was just heart-wrenching and a very painful experience. This company had a product that turned out to work with a select part of that target audience. And management was like, when's this going to happen? When's this going to happen? And we could say it's going to happen, but we could never predict the exact time frame of when it was yeah. going to happen because we were dependent on the media coverage that we were going to get. We didn't, we didn't have advertising, a lot of money for advertising, and we didn't want to advertise too soon because the advertising would kill the media potential, the news value of what we were doing. So we waited on the advertising until we exhausted all the news coverage the detailed message is all about this. It tells yeah, women yeah. why this is a good product, how you use it, what you can expect, blah, 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 blah. Um, the company didn't have the patience to wait. Hmm. So they sold the product. And it was in November, they sold a product. I'm just giving you an arbitrary time frame. Yeah. Um, and they sold it for $16 million as a startup product. In February, Everything that we said was going to happen, happened. Oh, man. <laughs> and the product took off like crazy. Uh, and the product sold $80 million for the new buyer <laughs> in that time frame. So it was just a four-month uh, lag on it. Oh, man. <laughs> the company that sold it then turned around, and their answer was, fire everybody on the staff because they, <laughs> they didn't want, you know, they couldn't deal with it. And right, I've yeah. seen that happen <laughs> repeatedly. So you need patience yeah, to really sure. make success happen. Of course. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's heartbreaking when it doesn't. It, and and sometimes you do fail. There's yeah. no, no question about it. I've That's as true. I was telling you before we started this time, I I have Dieter's follies. I, I once <laughs> I once in Chicago, Illinois, um 
and I learned a lesson here. I, we were working with architects and we were talking about plastic products. And this goes back to my own scorning days. And we were at a trade show and, and I believe in trade shows, but I believe there's more to a trade show than just exhibiting at a show. You do what you've got three parts to it, what you can do before for a couple months, what you can do during the show and what you can do after the show for a couple months, which okay. gives you breadth of coverage. Yeah. And so we got to, to going to a trade show for architects. And unfortunately, we got into the show late and we weren't able to stay at, we weren't be able to do our thing at the headquarters hotel. We were literally across the street from the headquarters hotel. And I set up a party and then uh, great with professional athletes coming in and signing footballs and doing all that type of thing. And we had hired a band and we had all kinds of food uh, right, right there for all these people that were across the street, nobody came across the street. They wouldn't walk across the street to do that. So I learned my lesson. My lesson yeah. was, it's a great idea. And if I had been in the hotel that I was supposed to be in it and I had been there before, so I knew it was gonna work. Right. And I had done it. And after the fact, I learned my lesson and went back to being <laughs> in the headquarter hotel or not doing it at all. But in that particular night, I blew it. I. You know, I had 50 people show up when I was expecting 5,000 people. To show oh, up. man. <laughs> and all you can do is say, okay, what did I learn? Yeah, right. Never True. go, never, never stage an event in a hotel that's not the headquarter hotel. Right. That's what we learned. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. So uh, uh, to wrap it up, can you, um, if, any final thoughts, any last uh, tidbits, uh, words of wisdom, anything like that? I think you know, brand building is a fun thing to do today. Um, but realize that you've got to set yourself apart. You've got to be noted or notorious. Don't be average. Yeah. To be noted or notorious takes guts. It does. You have it's to true. be willing to take calculated risks. Right. Sometimes that's the hardest part of the marketing process for executives. You know, can the is the boss willing to take the take the risk? Yeah. As marketers and communicators, you you know what you know. And it's just a matter of getting them to give you the enough rope to hang yourself. Sure. Essentially. <laughs> right. Uh, but oftentimes you don't end up hanging yourself. Uh, oftentimes you end up tying that rope around some good success. Awesome. And that's really what you want to do. Yeah, that's good stuff. Awesome. Well, Bill, thanks so much for for jumping on the call today. This has been extremely helpful and insightful. Um, if someone wants to get more information, Bill is one of our advisor professor uh, professors at Lemonade Maker University, and he offers a course called Core Out Marketing. Real quick, Bill, can you give us a quick plug? Very quickly, uh, Core, on out, Core out, marketing. out Marketing. I've been doing it for 40 years, so i pretty sure it works it's a cool concept it, it's yeah the idea of just simply taking a pebble throwing it in the pond what happens it creates ripples if you're smart you start at the core of that and you start identifying all of the audiences that you need to reach with your product and service so that each group as you convert them as you convince them that you have the product or service they're after they become ambassadors to help you with the next group that helps you with the next group that helps you with the next group so that when you ultimately get out here to the consumer, ultimate consumer, your job is easy because you've got all this groundswell of support behind you moving yeah. the product and service forward. 
That's awesome. Great stuff. So if anyone wants more information, uh, contact us here at Lemonade Maker and we can put you in touch with Bill uh, through our university. And he's got a great course um, that not only goes, goes over uh, that concept, um, but also uh, it's a deeper dive on a lot of the concepts we went over today um, on our chat here. Um, Bill, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been really, really helpful. Uh, always good stuff with you. Um, we'll, talk, uh, we'll do this again real soon. And, and I know you've got some other topics we're going to tackle in the near future. I look forward to it, Tom. Thanks so much. All right, Bill, take care. Bye-bye. Take care.